Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Zapiniak. Hey, Kit. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Bridge Builder Show every week. We're so glad that you can join us, whether it be on the radio, on your favorite podcast app, or now on our YouTube channel. Remember, if you ever miss an episode, just visit us online. Go to mncatholic.org forward slash podcast. Jason, who are you speaking with this week? We are speaking with the Reverend Dr. John Sr. of Wake Forest University School of Divinity about his book, and I have it right here, The Theology of Political Vocation. Really compelled by that title and uh, thinking about politics as a calling, and as Pope Francis always said, a high, one of the highest forms of charity. And I think we need to maybe recover a sense that politics can be a calling and a sacrifice. So we'll talk with Dr. Senior about his book and uh, what it means to live the theology or of a political vocation. Maybe some of our listeners out there will start to hear their own calling to public service, and maybe this conversation can better equip them to how they might start preparing for that vocation. I'll be back at the end of the program with this week's action item. I'm now joined by the Reverend Dr. John Sr. He directs the School of Divinity's Art of Ministry program at Wake Forest University in North Carolina. He is an ordained teaching elder in the Presbyterian Church USA. His research and teaching focuses on pastoral formation for ministry, field-based learning, ministry leadership in both ecclesial and public settings, and the role of theological education in preparing leaders for a wide variety of of institutional contexts. He's trained in Christian ethics and the sociology of religion and interested in political theology and ethics. We've invited him on today to discuss his book, A Theology of Political Vocation, Christian Life and Public Office. Dr. Senior, it's great to speak with you today. Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be here. What compelled you as a theologian to write about politics and more specifically the vocation of politics? I've had some experiences in my younger adulthood working in kind of grassroots community organizing contexts, and that helped me to see that political life, even for ordinary citizens who are involved in projects like that, can be morally complex and morally ambiguous. You know, the closer you come to actually wielding political power, the more morally ambiguous politics is. And I just noticed that there, uh, while there's a lot of kind of prescriptive work in Christian theology about politics, Christians should think X or do Y in political space, there wasn't really a lot of thinking about what that actually means in terms of wielding power and how you know, those things we ought to do or should do are translated through the media of political power. And so I wanted to, to do some thinking about that moral ambiguity around, around power in particular. So you mentioned sort of the moral ambiguity. And, you know, one of the things we see as lobbyists is the way in which, you know, you have to make politics as the art of compromise to a degree. And it's a question of prudence. And people are looking for these politicians who have these purity tests and the folks who've actually had experience governing have the least shot sometimes at statewide races. So we're looking at, in Minnesota, a, a Republican candidate to challenge our sitting Democratic governor. And the people who are emerging and, and stepping to the front of those races are not the ex politicians with long experience, but they're the people who are new to the scene and uh, can pass the ritual purity tests that the activists want. So uh, interesting way of putting it. It's interesting, one of the challenges in our political climate in the U.S. context generally, locally and nationally, I think, is that there's not really a very good public discourse around the meaning of 
political power, the meaning of political work, you know, what's actually involved in doing that. I mean, Max Weber, the German sociologist called politics, the boring against hard boards. And, and what he meant by that was that it's the slow and painstaking process done through compromise. When done well, you're working with a variety of different points of view, different folks with different kinds of power and, and trying to to move forward within that context. And purity tests just don't work very well if you wanna do good political work. And I, I think that to me is symptomatic that we don't have a good way of talking about or thinking about what's actually involved in the work of politics. You teach ethics at a divinity school and historically the study of politics or it was political philosophy, applied ethics. Mm-hmm. Yet today we talk about politics as a science, particularly the science of power. So have we lost something in terms of no longer thinking about politics as a science of ethics? How ought we to live together instead the science of power? Or is, the way of, is there a way of integrating the insights of the ancients uh, with the insights of the moderns? I think in some ways, yes. I mean, there's part of me that wishes that, building on the previous response, there's part of me that wishes that politics were about the science of power. <laughs> I wish we had some some ways of thinking of, of in, in complex ways about what political power is and how it operates and that, you know, in some ways that our, our politics worked within that discourse, but it doesn't. But I also think it's true, as you're suggesting, that we also don't have a very complex political ethics that's available in our public conversation. In other words, kind of thinking about what's the meaning of the shared political work that we're trying to do? What are the ways of working on common goods and, and things of that nature? We just don't have either of those things. So yes, I kind of, I guess that my answer to that would be both and. I uh, both had that kind of modern aspiration of understanding in a scientific way how power operates. I, I wish we at least had a better understanding of that or worked with a better understanding of that. And also, a clear sense of what the demands of political ethics are. Getting back to that idea of vocation, what do we mean when we say something's a vocation? Yeah, so I think of vocation as a particular way of understanding the meaning of work. And of course, I'm working within a theological frame. Unlike other words or concepts that we use for work, like task or job or career, I think there's a way in which the idea of vocation, uh, which has the Latin root vocare to call, implies, at least in a theological frame, that there is this kind of center of meaning of value, which we call God, who is actually also the center of gravity for the work. And we're actually being called to participate in that work. God is the one calling and we're the ones being called. In an interesting kind of way, unlike a task or a job or a career, the work of vocation is not really our work. It's God's work. In the kind of theological understanding that I've developed, that work is around promoting the flourishing of all creation. And uh, we can participate in that work in lots of different ways through politics, but through religious vocations. And, you know, I'm, I'm a good Protestant theologian. So I think that, you know, all different walks of life are places where vocation happens, that we can be called to participate in God's work of repairing and restoring creation. But it's also a source of meaning and value for us. It's a place where we find our identity, our sense of purpose as those who are called to respond to God's work in the world. Let's drill down into that. And I love what you said. I think everything that you said there would resonate with a Catholic audience as well. And, you know, talking about politics then. So if if this is God's work and, and we're called to that, what does that mean to be called as a Christian and to enter the political arena and really do God's work there? Well, you know, it's interesting. I am a Presbyterian, but I went to uh, Jesuit high school, St. Savior High School in Cincinnati. But there are ways in which I think that 
Catholic sensibility around the common good, which interestingly, this is not something that everybody would be interested in, but intersects with kind of Calvinist understandings of common good as well. There's a way in which that perspective really informs my thinking about what political work is. And with the Catholic tradition, I think that God is working to repair and restore creation through lots of different spaces, not just the church. The church is important, but also through political life, through economic life and the ecology and so on. And these are all working in concert in some way, often mysterious way to us. But I think politics is that place where ideally we are paying attention to the totality of that mosaic of, of institutional settings and uh, systems that are working together towards the common good and trying to order them in ways that best approximate what God is wanting for us to do in the world. And that's, it's not easy work to say just what that is. But I think ideally, those who are working in political spaces are working together as, as difficult as that is to discern what common goods are how we might best arrange our systems and institutions to generate and maintain those common goods and better promote the flourishing, not just of human beings, but, but of all, all creation. So my response to that question is kind of anchored in my own Catholic formation. Excellent. Common goods. That's it. The goal of politics is the common good. Is the vocation of politics, is that something peculiar or limited to people who hold elected office? Or can Christians live the vocation of politics and public life in a broader variety of dimensions than simply holding elected office or some sort of position of administrative power? Well, I, in fact, I think we're all called to some form of political vocation. Modern life is interesting in the sense that our roles are kind of multiplied and divided, as a beloved professor of mine used to say, across different institutional settings. So we are all citizens, also lots of other things. Maybe we're parents, maybe we're doctors. You know, we, we have lots of different identities and it's not always easy to sort out the competing claims and obligations of those various identities. We're also all customers and marketplaces that, at many points throughout the day, but we all have some form of political vocation. So it's certainly not limited to elected office, but I think we're all invited to discern the extent to which we are called as even as just citizens, ordinary citizens to the work of, of politics, what does that mean for us? And how does that balance and interact with the other roles and responsibilities that we have in the different parts of our lives? So again, not easy to say just what that looks like for any, any person, but I think that's, that's at least the landscape of it in a theological point of view. These are great conversations, and, and we style our podcast The Bridge Builder because we can build bridges even across theological lines, but there's a lot of resonances and a lot of what we hold in common. And you talked about roles and responsibilities, and indeed, Catholic social teaching hinges on that whole idea of roles and responsibilities and respecting those roles and responsibilities. One of the other hats that we wear, as you mentioned also, though, is faithful citizens, and that in some way, as you said, we're all called to the work of public life. Now, let me ask you this, though, is that sense of political vocation or a calling, how do you live that in a system that's not democratic, that is by, of, and for the people, where the people are governing themselves and play an integral role in decisions from the local level all the way up to the federal level? Let's say you live in a monarchy or an oligarchy, a dictatorship. Can you still live the vocation <laughs> of public life in non-democratic settings? That's a really interesting question. I, I don't know that I've given a lot of thought of that, to that, except I might say that we, we, we might be living in an oligarchy or a dictatorship, not a monarchy, I guess, but, uh, but oligarchy is, a, is a, live, a live possibility for us these days, uh, certainly, and maybe dictatorship too. 
I think in a theological perspective, ultimately what the work of politics is inviting us to do is to work in lots of different ways, depending on our sense of identity and sense of purpose, sense of calling with others to build common life together. Part of where my own Reformed theology comes into this is around the understanding of sin and human limitation, that we place a premium on, on that as <laughs> Presbyterians. But what that means for us is that no one of us has a complete and total claim on what common goods are, what they look like. We're all limited. We all have limited capacity to understand how God is present and working in our world. And so one of the ways that we mitigate that is by working with others as best we can to have a fuller sense of what we ought to do and who we ought to be together. I suppose I would say that whatever conditions, challenges that any of these systems create to that task is what we would be navigating as ordinary, if not citizens, whatever, whatever the everyday person is in that, in that space. But that's the work we would be doing together. And I, I suppose if it were oligarchy, you know, the, the question we'd all be wrestling with is how do we arrange our economic systems and structures so that those goods and resources work to the benefit, the flourishing of, of all and not just the few. If it were tyranny, you know, I suppose their questions would be, would be different. But again, that would be kind of the starting place. I think that's right. Maybe distinguishing too between the social sphere and the distinctly political sphere in the sense that we can build common goods and, and identify and work for the common good, even outside the particularly legislative or executive context. But in society writ large, like you're saying, the ecosystem, the economy, the household, the oikos writ large, if you will. Listeners know I always go back to the oikos because I, I just love it and it has so many residences. We're speaking with Reverend Dr. John Sr. He's a professor of applied ethics and ministry at Wake Forest University Divinity School, and the, he is the author of A Theology of Political Vocation. Dr. Sr., how do Christians go about discerning where their vocation of politics or public life may be? How do we discern where we might be called and what kind of work God wants us to do in politics or in the public arena? Well, I think the work of discernment is really, the practices and skills of discernment are really central to the Christian life, just generally speaking. And part of what discernment and its connection to vocation are about is an awareness that we are never a finished product. Discerning a vocation isn't just about what's this one thing I'm supposed to do, and once you figure that out, then it's done. It's this kind of ongoing openness to God's ongoing call to us to join in God's work in whatever ways that God is inviting us to do that. So that happens throughout our lives, not just uh, when you graduate from college and you're trying to figure out you know, what job you're supposed to have. And it really at bottom is about how we become the human beings that God intends for us to be, and how do we stay open to that? This will certainly look different in different seasons of our life, but challenge to Christians is through spiritual practices, through the corporate worship, and in other ways, I think to remain open to the many ways that God is calling us not only to do certain things, to, to become also certain kinds of people capable of doing those things. And, you know, there might be a season where God generates some real urgency in us to be involved in something specific and pressing, depending on what's going on. Or it might be a more general kind of lifelong task, but there are rhythms and contours where the challenge for us is to, to try to remain open. I knew I could ask someone who went to a Jesuit high school about discernment and vocation. That was <laughs> very well said. Thank you for that. So when we talk about a theology of political vocation, that implies to me, at least, that we can know something of God by looking at the vocation of politics. 
Can you unpack that a little bit for us? How, how on earth could political life teach us something about God? Or maybe am I just completely wrong in understanding that? No, I think that's, I think that's right. Political life, when done well, I think discloses the contours of God's intentions for the flourishing of not just human communities, but beyond that, because politics touches on how we engage all of God's creation. And so in a way, I suppose the theological notion that's in the middle of political vocation is probably some kind of doctrine of creation. How do we understand the meaning and value of this experience of of creation and creativity that God has given to us as a gift in the ways that we create and order and arrange and generate and maintain goods that help us to flourish in the way that God intends. So it is itself, I think, the work of discernment when done well. In democratic spaces, we have this idea that politics is uh, very often maybe fundamentally about a kind of deliberative process that we get together and through debate, argument, sharing of points of view and so on, various ways, try to understand who it is that we are together and what it is that we're supposed to be doing together. Theological point of view would say that as how it is that God is calling us to be together. Um, And what that is ultimately about is us really learning who we are in in the created order and who God intends for us to be. Love that. Starting with the doctrine of creation and getting our story right. Getting our story right really matters and how we fit within the story. What is the story on which we should found our understanding of politics as Christians? Is it the Genesis story where we are created to be stewards to bring God's wise and loving care to all of creation and properly order our lives toward the common good? Or is it sort of the liberal mythology that you know, life is poor, nasty, short, and brutish, and we get together and create a government that's coercive enough to protect our rights and protect us from killing each other. How does our politics look differently based on those two stories? So I I love Mm. the fact that you rooted this in creation. I think that's really compelling. Dr. Senior, Mm. what what is the Christian difference in, in politics? What would you expect to see or what should the Christian difference be? How should Christians be behaving differently or what does Christian witness in the public arena today look like as opposed to the perhaps non-Christian witness or rancorous secular mm. witness or a witness riven with ideology and partisan faction? There'd be lots of places in scripture to go, but you mentioned the Genesis story. I think a lot about the end of the first chapter of, of Genesis where God looks at everything that God has created and proclaims that these things are good. I often kind of go back to that verse as I look around the world and kind of think, was God telling the truth when God said that? Because you know there are a lot of things in this world that don't look like they're very good. But I think that in some ways is kind of the faith commitment that we as Christians have in an ultimate sense, that when God created all things and proclaimed that they're good, that God meant it, God was really telling the truth. And that to me implies some responsibilities for the way that we conduct ourselves in lots of different spaces, but in politics in particular that we're working in relationship to an understanding that this creation is in fact good and that that means that we ought to comport ourselves in relationship to it in certain ways and and in relationship to one another. So to me, there are layers of responsibilities that come with uh, the gifts and freedoms that God gives us in the created order that I think are often missing in the, the liberal conversation about politics. And in other words, that in the sort of modern frame, there's often an understanding that freedom is simply freedom from, you know, that we're just, we're we're free when we're not uh, bothered by the government or anyone else. 
And freedom from coercion is certainly a good thing. And freedom in the Christian perspective comes in because we have certain kinds of obligations and responsibilities to one another and to all of creation. And our tradition encourages us to explore what that means. How are we free when we are in service to neighbor, when we have a certain kind of unconditional love for our neighbor? How does that make us free, not just freedom from annoyances from government or anyone else? Freedom for we have rights because we have responsibilities. The great the great Belgian Dominican moral theologian Survey Pinkers does a great job of showing the distinction between freedom from and freedom for. Mm. Uh, So I think that's beautifully said. Uh, Thank you for that. You talk in your book about the journey of a political vocation, Mm -hmm. and you know, my one last question for you would be: say a little bit about that journey and maybe the preparation for the journey too. How does one prepare oneself for a journey in a context, as you said so well, that is oftentimes about wielding power and wielding power effectively? So, what is a Christian Mm -hmm. preparation and the Christian journey of the vocation of politics uh, look like? Well, I think it goes back to that notion of discernment that's, in my perspective, really in the middle of vocation, not just in politics, but in any space. In the North American context, or in the U.S. context, let's say, our our political systems are oriented in such a way that I think it's very easy to lose sight of the purposes for which we're engaged in politics. You know, I think it's fair to say that there are a number of our most well-known politicians who seem to be engaged in politics more or less so that they can stay engaged in politics, and that's kind of it. In a posture or attitude of discernment, we are open, and I think we cultivate spiritual practices that help us to be open to the ways in which God is calling us to do this certain kind of work that, again, is a, a corporate work of creating and maintaining and distributing common goods. And so the journey of that would be whatever challenges arise and, and the ways that we navigate those by virtue of our orientation to them and a posture of discernment. That could look like lots of different things, but it, it's not going to look like maintaining office for the sake of maintaining power. You know, it's going to be something, I think, a lot different and more generative than that. Yeah, politicians, they get to office or they desire to get elected to office to either do something or be somebody. And that's an easy way to distinguish the good ones from the less good ones. We'll put it that way. Dr. Senior, what Christian witness is inspiring you in the political arena? Can you give us some practical examples of groups, individuals? people who you think are bringing powerful Christian witness, they can be elected officials, they can be advocacy organizations, anything that's really, you know, you can put some tip, some meat on those bones in terms of tangible yeah. examples. As I mentioned before, I became interested in this through some work I was doing in community organizing, not as an organizer, just as a ordinary churchgoer who was in a congregation that was connected to one of these projects in Boston. And what really inspired me about that process is that there's this kind of constant going back to the kind of the grassroots conversations with ordinary people to identify and determine what a local kind of agenda would look like. And that, I think, is one way of imagining what common goods are and what they mean in a particular space. And so I I lift up that approach to ordinary citizenship. And that's kind of a discipline of citizenship that any person can be involved in. I've also, I I have to give a shout out to a a seminary colleague, uh, Sarah Trone Garriott, who's a a Lutheran pastor, who's now a state senator in Iowa. And I just follow her 
not very carefully, but through Facebook, we're Facebook friends. And I see in the way that she engages groups, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to give an endorsement, but I, I'm just, as an example, you know, she seems to kind of have an openness to um, varying points of view and um, kind of connecting the good work of local politics to the voices of her constituents and in ways that are not uh, just about kind of maintaining power. So there are people like that I think of, but I, I'm especially drawn to kind of the grassroots work. Wonderful. What a blessing. I'm really going to take away from this conversation the importance again of our story and those first two chapters of salvation history, the creation, but also the fall integrating those two perspectives, knowing both the goodness of creation, the pursuit of the good and restoring all things in Christ, but also our limitations uh, because of sin and the need to extend grace to one another. Uh, the book is a theology of political vocation, Baylor Academic Press. Not only do they produce good football and basketball teams at Baylor, but very sound academic books and theology books as well. Dr. Senior, it's been a blessing to speak with you today. Thanks so much for joining the Bridge Book. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. We'll be back in a moment with our practical tip of the week. Welcome back to the Bridge Builder Program, where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, and now it's time to turn to our practical tip of the week for our listeners. Kit, what do you have for us? Yeah, so the Minnesota legislature is now in session. They gaveled in on January 31st. And at the start of session, there's always a big flurry of bills that are introduced and hundreds of bills that are introduced throughout the session. And it can be really difficult to know which ones that Catholics should be concerned about. What should you be tracking? What should you be taking action on? What should you bring up with your legislators? So to help all our listeners stay in the know, we want to help you to track certain bills. So on our website, we have a brand new bill tracking system, and you can find it by going to mncatholic.org forward slash action center, and then click on the bill tracker. And there you're going to see selected bills that the Minnesota Catholic Conference is tracking. So you don't have to try to follow hundreds of bills every session. You're also going to see whether the Catholic Conference opposes that bill or supports that bill, or maybe we're just sort of monitoring it, looking for something to be amended in it. When you're in the Action Center, you can also join the Catholic Advocacy Network, and that way we will be able to send action alerts to you at key times. And that allows you to send a quick email or a video to your legislators or give them a call. So Jason, what are some of the issues that MCC will be tracking this session? One of the big policy decisions will be whether to expand gambling in Minnesota to include sports betting. We are opposed to gambling expansion. It's one thing to have bingo halls and charitable gaming and pull tabs and things of that nature that are low stakes, but high stakes sports betting, we think uh, has a tremendous potential to ruin people's lives. And it, it's not just a potential, it's an actuality. We've seen it in a lot of places. How many stories of small businesses or even our parishes where there's been embezzlement because of someone trying to cover gambling debts. This is a real serious threat to people, particularly with gambling addiction, but also families and family economic security. This is a cost that we all have to bear just because people want to have more fun during their viewing of NFL games. And so this is again, where an issue that we need to look at the common good 
and not just what individuals want to do or would like to do with their money and people who can afford to buy themselves out of the consequences of gambling. So we think this is a really negative proposal and we are strongly opposed to gambling expansion in Minnesota. There's a number of other issues that we're tracking, particularly with regard to the large budget surplus. What do we do with that? Should we focus our policies not on either just the simplistic binary of more spending versus more tax cuts, but maybe targeted relief that subsidizes or provides tax relief to families, the people who need it most, our most important producers, uh, are our families, not necessarily our businesses. They matter too, but our most important producers are those who are producing the next generation, both generating and nurturing them. So how can we as a state dedicate that surplus to supporting families? Another issue we're looking at in light of the uh, abortion case at the Supreme Court, but also here in Minnesota, is positive alternatives. We want to not just speak to the supply side of abortion, but also want to limit demand. We want to make abortion unthinkable. And one of the ways we do that is walking with moms in need. And so we're supporting our state's positive alternatives program, beefing that up from a $3.5 million budget allocation to a $6.5 million allocation to meet the need of the grant applicants who are denied, but who want to provide those services and, and buttress what they're already doing with their own private funds. So looking at positive alternatives as well. There are a lot of issues and the best way, as you said, Kit, is to stay in touch with uh, MCC through the Minnesota Catholic Conference Catholic Advocacy Network and our bill tracker and to get real-time updates about what's going on and not just what to say, but when to say it as well. Well, thanks, Jason. And again, everyone, you can check that out by going to mncatholic.org forward slash action center. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll be back again next week with another great guest and a practical way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Atkins, and for Kit Sabiniak of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks again for listening, and God bless you today.